Welcome back to the Shoeless Joe's podcast, a podcast you haven't heard in a while, but a podcast still soon to be heard around the world. It's Isaiah. And Mike. Long time no see. Last time we recorded a pod, we just all we had was news about sports, but now we have actual sports on TV. However, the biggest story in sports right now is not even about the games being played. Uh, last Friday, a blockbuster trade went down with Mike's favorite football team, the New York Jets, in which they sent arguably their most productive player, Jamal Adams, to the Seattle Seahawks, a team he was happy to join, a winning team. And um, they got a lot back for him. They got more than I thought they'd get back for him. Um, being that safeties don't have much of a market, uh, the Jets ended up getting two first-rounders, uh, a third-round pick, and a starting safety for Jamal Adams, and a fourth-round pick, if I believe. Um, I think this is a good trade for the Jets, and I think this is a good move that really uh, puts uh, GM Joe Douglas like in a good light. And for the team's future, which I know Mike is happy about, but I know Mike's got a lot of feelings on this subject, so I'm going to let Mike ramble. I think, I don't know, I it, three days to reflect on this trade now. Um, and <laughs> Talk about your more, progress, talk about your progress, talk about how you felt the first day. Uh, progressed. <laughs> actually like the way i'm thinking about this is like i'm comparing everything that i feel about the jamal adams trade to the porzingis trade yeah um it's not the same thing it's not the same thing but i remember when kp got traded the first thing i felt was just anger um devastation on my part um and this trade honestly like when i the, I, I didn't even have an a, initial reaction at first like I just saw the trade come in, and I saw what they got back, and I was like, "This has to be like fake." Like I was like, I couldn't even be upset that Jamal was gone because well, you I didn't like, even hear the news. You heard from someone else that it happened before you yeah, even like, got a report about the news. I got a text and a call from two were. different people. Yeah, I got a text and a call from two different people, and I was and like, I was like, "Bro, what are you talking about?" Because someone just said like, <laughs> the tra- the trade went through, and I was like, "Dude, I swear to God, if the Knicks did something dumb already, like, <laughs> like curse Julian Rose, but <laughs> but now nah, it was Jamal and." Worldwide. Honestly, I think like the most interesting part about this trade, like first, like starting off with the compensation they received, um, two firsts. Uh, it's one only what, what there's eight other trades since 2000, so in the last 21 years, basically, um, where a team received two first round picks in a trade, and that's even more than uh, the Raiders got for Khalil Mack. That's more, there was no first round trades and inv- first round picks involved in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So the fact that the Jets got two, as well as a pick swap to get the third pick, um, the third round pick from Seattle next year, it is huge, honestly, as well as getting Bradley McDougal, who is an underrated part of that Seattle defense and slots right in next to Marcus May, a big part of their defense. Um, so from a compensation standpoint, I, I think that the Jets knocked it out of the park, especially considering the fact that they had no other choice on this subject. Uh, Jamal had. It was it was like to the point where this relationship was beyond repair. Jamal had taken to the papers, I guess, talking yeah. about Joe Douglas, Adam Gase, and at that point, um, it was. I think at that point it's unsalvageable because I don't think you can have your best player blatantly disrespecting the, the organization and the coach like that and expect to go into a locker room and and fix those kind of situations. Um, but I, for me personally, with this trade, it's not even like about the conversation and stuff. Like obviously, the less important. I think the most interesting thing that I've seen is like the news that's come out following it about how like these things were actually handled because like there was a point like about a month ago or two weeks ago, I could say where 
people were split on this. Some people were, oh, just pay, just pay him. He's your best player. Uh, the Jets aren't good enough to like let a talent like this walk away, which I could understand. Um, and then there was the other camp who said like, no, like he has two years left. Like wait it out. The Jets aren't good enough. Well, to yeah, on the last pod we recorded, I was talking about how I think they should have paid Jamal Adams, and how I thought he deserved the money and how good he was as a player. Um, and I think the compensation that they did get is really what makes it like blockbuster. Like I know Jamal Adams is a big name and the Seattle Seahawks are a big team, but I think getting two first rounders makes it extremely blockbuster. Like it, that's out of this world, but go on. You were saying past the no, conversation. I, no. Yeah. Past the conversation. Like I think like the most interesting part of this entire thing is just the stories that are coming out now about how everything really went down. Like you won't get that until everybody like goes their separate ways and the dust is cleared. And like Monday morning, as all these books, <laughs> right. And Monday morning or the articles at smoothie sports at home. Um, where, uh, 100%. But um, I think like what's interesting now is that you're starting to really see like the truth come out Um, as all these sports shows are talking about it Monday morning and the facts are coming out. Like now it's come at first it was initially viewed that, oh, he was disgruntled because the Jets were listening to trade offers. And that was a stupid conversation in of itself because people are like, oh, you can't you can't. Uh, shop your best player like that that's so disrespectful come to find out that the entire time he was the he was the one calling dallas players getting in contact with with Stephen jones trying to get himself to dallas and then to play the play the fool for the media and to make the jets look so bad is just like that's so it's so manipulative like i like it's not even like the fact that like he wanted out because that's one thing but like the way he tried to play the media against the jets to get what he wanted makes it like even crazier and i didn't even realize one that he did that but also the fact of how like how that made his teammates feel like we saw Le'Veon tweet about oh you recruited me here and then you just dip and like you were like talking about all these things about how you're a leader and like that's the thing for me like he was presenting himself to the fan base on like social media to the media like he's a leader like he's here long term like 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 he was the glue guy in that locker room you know what i'm saying and that was far from the, the truth and I think that's really interesting to see how his fans, how his teammates are in the wake of it coming out and kind of like good riddance. Um, so what did you think about that? as like the dynamic with his teammates and stuff. Yeah, he was he was definitely earlier in this situation trying to save face, which um, which I couldn't. I mean, obviously, you couldn't pick up on in the end. And uh, not only were there people on both sides of the argument, but there were people running back and forth, like the same people running back and forth on the same argument because news would come out you know, like every other week about something new, something different, how disgruntled Jamal was. Um, I mean, from the outside looking in, uh, being that I'm a fan of the team, the other team that plays in the Meadowlands, um, I couldn't be more happy for the toxicity that Jamal brought to the organization and um, not leaving them in shambles, but uh, (laughs) hindering them uh, nonetheless. But I, I do think it was wrong. I do think it was wrong, and I do think the glorifying of these superstars and these athletes and their decisions and fighting the power of the front office is, um, is a little too much. I mean, the, the diva status of some of these people is, is, is out of control. I mean, I, I noticed picked up on that when we sent away Odell, but, um, but yeah, I do feel bad. I do feel bad for how Jamal Adams tried to tarnish the, not the legacy, but, the face of and, and the image with New York Jets. But the the way I look at it, like, it literally feels like, 
it's one step past like diva status. Oh, it yeah, wasn't, it's over. It's over. Like, it wasn't like it wasn't even like he wanted out. Like, all right, if you want out, you want out. People want out. Like, it happens. Like, he still calls him the like they give him the tag diva, but like, like it is what it is. It happens. Yeah. But like, it's not even that. It was like he was trying to manipulate his way out of there and then play like he wasn't the one doing it and like the Jets were the one doing him slime, and like that. That's a part that bothers me, especially because he was trying to make it seem like, oh, just pay him, everything will be fine. It's not even a. It wasn't even about that, obviously, because you're talking about the trade deadline. You're talking about like what like week eight week nine right. and you're already like mid-season you're plotting your way out and you're and you're talking about oh i can't wait to go to war with my brothers and like in there like chumming it up and yeah. like how, yeah. you're how can you play for a team how can you lead a team not only play for a team but lead a team when that's how you feel about the organization that you play for but right that's my like he had everybody fooled and that's yeah. the craziest part like everyone, everyone was defending him like you can't you can't shop him he's your leader you can't like you have to yeah. pay him he's your leader meanwhile Phone calls he wasn't even being a leader. He was just pretending that, like, from the outside. And meanwhile, if there's no way he's a true leader. If as soon as he's gone, his teammates are just like throwing like all these cryptic tweets out there about all the things that he did. Um, but from from a like that's my rant on Jamal. And <laughs> I think that, I like I hope that more people like actually hear these things because like I like I don't under like I don't understand how like people are saying already that oh. Now it's saying the precedent where like teams know if they come to the Jets, they can just push their way around and get what they want. And I was like, that's not even like remotely even happen. That doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> like you think players are gonna sign with the Jets knowing that they can push them around to just get traded? Like, what? How does that make any sense? Like, why would you just go? Why would you just go where you want in the first place? Then that that doesn't make any sense. But um, from a from a Seattle perspective and a Jamal perspective, how do you view things moving forward? Um, how do you think Seattle did in this trade, and what do you think this trade means for Jamal and his and his future? Well, for Seattle to give up so much for Jamal Adams, they obviously have either big plans for him in the future or uh, a big plan for him this year. It's a big splash they made um, with the trade, and so obviously they're pushing to win a championship. When you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, I guess they're trying to capitalize quickly because you don't have a lot of time with a generational talent like him. Um, but I, and I mean, I think Jam- Jamal's obviously happy. Well, he stated he's happy, but then again, you never know with that guy, but he, uh, he should, he should be happy to be in Seattle and a winning culture. Like he's been pushing for to get with the jets. And I think it'll bode well for some time, but, um, the issue that he was pressing in the beginning of him getting paid is uh, going to become a bigger issue now that all this little stuff is out of the way. And I don't know how that's going to turn out, but if Seattle pans, plans to pay him, uh, I th- I think I think it's an all right move for him. He um he's an undeniable talent, especially in the run stop. He's great. He's great. He's not just good. He's great. But um, but how long Seattle will keep him if they want him for that long? I think that's a situation he's kind of stuck in right now. Um, but I guess he'll deal with that later. I don't know. I, from a football perspective, I think it does make sense. Um, I think that the way uh, Pete Carroll likes to use his safeties, big physical players, like we've seen what he did with Cam Chancellor, it's a similar archetype um, play at the line of scrimmage, especially like getting downhill with Bobby Wagner. Hmm. Um, for me, I don't know if he'll actually get paid by Seattle because they're already paying Russ and they're already paying Bobby Wagner. So, if you look at it from that perspective, how much more like do you think that they have? Yeah, they might not even have the funds, right? To 
if like Jamal wants he was asking for. Right, Jamal wants like twenty million a year, which is like five point four million high, higher than the next highest paid safety, which is Eddie Jackson. Mm. Um, we already paying Bobby Wagner eighteen million. That's I don't know what his contract is, but I know it's big. Um, so if you take that into account, I really don't know how that's going to work. But also, based on what happened with the Jets just now, we saw that people are questioning his leadership if it's like real or if it's a facade, right? And how he conducts himself. So I imagine him going to a place like Seattle where. They already have established like leaders. Um, like we we don't know how people really feel about Russ because like Richard Sherman and stuff has always said like oh like people don't really like him or actually it's just kind of like he doesn't seem genuine or stuff like that. Right. That we've heard that, but they also have Bobby Wagner who's been a leader of their defense. Mm. So how does he fit in in terms of coming into an environment where he's like he's always been the guy for the Jets since he's been drafted basically. Right. So coming into that situation where he's not going to be the leader. And he's not going to be their best player. Um, how does he handle that? Especially because we've seen, based on how he's handled things, that he loves attention. Mm. So how will how will he react in that situation? Yeah, um, that's tough. That's tough. But um, I mean, uh, I, I don't wish I don't wish anything bad on the guy. Um, hopefully, playing in a situation like that, it's more freeing, and he he's able to stick to his game more. You know, and he he maybe doesn't have to uh, feel that weight of having to be a leader and then overcompensate in all these other ways. So maybe 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 it'll be a good thing for him. And Seattle's a great culture, a winning culture. Um and I I, I know people have said that Russ isn't that genuine, but I mean I mean we're talking about Jamal Adams as an undeniable talent, but Russell Wilson is gonna go down in the history books as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And he always gets the most out of his guys. So with Pete Carroll there um, P. Carroll, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson, that trio. Um, I think Jamal can learn, but it is really on him to be accepting of that role or a lesser no. role. No, I agree. I don't wish, I don't have any ill wishes towards Jamal, um, except for week 14 when they put <laughs> this guy. And I hope that, I hope that Sam Donald wears extra padding because uh, I feel like he'd be. He'll be coming for his neck, but um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, Makai Becton is is somewhere nearby. <laughs> uh, hopefully, Sam Darnold is standing directly next to Makai Becton. Dude, dotting behind. Dude, every snap from the left tackle position. Um, I I, I don't I don't want to think about that because I'm scared for the health of my franchise quarterback. Anyway, um, you should be at all times. One hundred percent should be in the NFL top one hundred. But oh my god, um. <laughs> Talking about Jamal, uh, Jamal makes his exit from New York very shortly, very abruptly. Um, but the same day, we have a new a New Yorker coming in and taking over as the head coach of the New York Knicks. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been here and we talked about it like months ago on the pod because it just seemed to be written in the stars and there was no other choice, <laughs> even though we advocated for other coaches along the way. and changed. You our advocated, you advocated, correct yourself. I did, but uh, eventually we came to the conclusion that uh, Tibbs was going to be the guy, and it was just working out contract disputes. They're throwing up smoke screens, scared everybody talking about Jason Kidd and Nick's Twitter, literally like that dog on oh, <laughs> yeah. fine meme. Um, things are fine. But they eventually, on Friday, locked in on Tibbs on a five-year deal, as everyone expected. And honestly, the from what I've seen, the fan base is really split. A lot of people feel that, hey, bring in Tibbs. Like, he knows how to coach. Everywhere he's gone, they've gotten better. He gets the most out of his players. He pushes his players. Um, 
and it brings a sense of legitimacy, some stability to a position that as, as head coach of the Knicks that they haven't had in a few in a, a while, honestly. But also just in terms of player development, and others were split and looking at Kenny Atkinson, and saying, like this guy created a culture with the Nets. Bring this guy in; he's perfect for player development, and see what happens. Um, I I would have I wouldn't have minded either coach. I'm happy with Tibbs. I think that he can return the Knicks to some kind of legitimacy. Um, where did you fall on this hire, and what do you think about some of the criticisms of Thibodeau? Um. I like the hire. Obviously, when Leon Rose came in, uh, Tibbs was already associated with Leon Rose, so he already like he automatically became a front runner for the job, um, which was fine with me because he has had success in other places. But um, the criticism on him, I think it was, I think David West was on Twitter or something like that, talking about how um, Tibbs, like he how he ruins young talent and he works people too hard. Uh, which to me sounded like a guy who just didn't like to practice, but <laughs> that was whatever. Um, but I, I mean, I think the young talent on the Knicks is undeniable, and um, I, I don't think, I don't think there's, I don't think as a coach he hurts young talent. I do think he works people very hard, um, but hopefully these these guys are built for it. And I think, I think that kind of style of coaching also weeds out those who are fit for the league and not. And so if we can find our tough players, our New York strong players, um, like we had in the past, guys like Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, not guys that tough because the NBA is a completely different sport, but uh, if we can bring that kind of toughness that the city city emulates, um, I think that'd be nice. And so I like the Tibbs hire. Um, I, I do understand the Kenny Atkinson thing where he did build talent in Brooklyn, but um, one I didn't like. I didn't like it because it was from Brooklyn, and I hadn't liked the Nets since they came to Brooklyn. But um, but I think it would have been a good hire because we do have good young talent. I I just want a guy in who's who's ready to push that young talent to their potential because everybody we have has high potential. It's just no one's reached it yet. Right. I no. I I agree, and I think like. I feel like a lot of the criticisms on Tibbs are really overblown and kind of not based on like real f- statistical facts. Right. Um, like I think that a- everyone's favorite thing is that he doesn't make players better, mm. which if you look at Chicago, when he had a bunch of players who were driven and motivated, they like before he got there, Jimmy Butler wasn't an all-star before he got there. Joe Kim Noah wasn't an all-star. Right. He got, he got Derek Rose, not to say that he made Derek Rose, but he definitely helped. Um, he helped Lou all dang. Uh, they got better. They were a driven team, a competitive team, a hardworking team. A contending they, team. Right. So it went from LeBron James and the Miami Heat. Right. And they were a legitimate team in a big part because of him. Sure. Um, and then you go to Minnesota, and we could say, like, obviously with him being basketball operations, um, that added to it. But before Tibbs got there, Wiggins was not doing anything. Wiggins still is not doing anything without him. <laughs> the same applies to Towns. Like, Towns was out. Towns when Towns is out they win games when he plays they then they lose going like a fifteen game losing streak like yeah, I mean, you can blame Tibbs for two players who are, like and that's the same thing like they want to blame Tibbs for like Minnesota even though they did get better offensively like they made the playoffs for the first time in how many years under Tibbs right yeah and then they also want to go back to the idea of oh he beats his players into the ground and get like 
Okay, like, all right, if you want to talk about Luol Deng, sure. Like, you can use that one, but the, if you're going to use one player to say that he beats players to the ground, yeah. uh, and, and and he's the reason that they're getting hurt, that, that sounds ridiculous because he's coached, what, I assume, uh, like, hundreds of players. It has in to be hundreds of players. He's been in the right. league so long. And and then and the other one what people want to talk about is Derrick Rose, who is still to this day gets hurt in every way in that, like, knee, broken, yeah. like, sprained ankle. He's a like, loom. That's what I'm it's saying. Like him. He's made out of glass, that guy. That's what I'm saying. So you can't blame Tip. You can't blame Tibbs for. Oh, dude, people are already saying like, oh, look at, oh, oh pray for RJ's knees. Like, yeah. I, I don't. Like, that's so corny. Man. It is corny, and, and even to like even just speak about that is taboo, and you shouldn't. It's terrible. But I think I I, I do like Tibbs a lot though, and um, he's. I think pushing a defensive culture is nice when you have guys whose potential on defense, like Mitchell Robinson go stupid. Mitchell Robinson can guard any position because he's quick enough. He's like, we can, we talk about uh, athletes getting better over and over. This guy's a freak of nature, literally. He's breaking Wilt Chamberlain records. No one else is doing that. No one else is like effortlessly breaking Wilt Chamberlain records. Um, so I have high hopes for him. And I think, I think Tibbs emerging as a front runner, obviously with the Leon Rose thing, um, and I, he was even on the jump once, and they were interviewing him about the Knicks specifically. Uh, and I wouldn't think you bring you would bring a guy in who doesn't have plans for a team. No, I think I think the thing about Tibbs is like I've read like I've seen a lot of articles coming out in recent days about Tibbs, and everything that everyone says is like, not that he is like Bill Belichick because he's not, but like like that level of intensity and like like they talk about him like up till four or five a.m. watching like film like. And I think that because of that connection with Leon Rose, he's been so locked in on this Knicks job for a while now that like, like he like there was an article quoting somewhere that's saying like it's his dream job kind of. So if he's that like, and he, we already know that Tibbs puts his all into his job. 100%. So knowing that he's putting his all and he wants to be here and like this is what he wants and he wants to bring the Knicks back. Um, I don't know if you can necessarily say that for any of the coaches who've been here since what Van Gundy. Um, <laughs> I guess if you like go that's back ridiculous, that but yeah, but like, I mean, I I think that bringing I think Woodson, in, I think Woodson had high hopes for the team, and hopefully Woodson is back and Miller's back. Um, oh yeah, that'd be a great ten. Uh, that'd be a pairing. great staff. Uh, yeah. Miller's familiar with the building, familiar with people. There's a, he had a great rapport with the team, so I feel like that would be really amazing. Um, and I think like, I think this tells us two things. I think that I think for the young guys in this team, for the most part, it'll be very ben- beneficial. Like you talk about RJ, I mean uh, Mitch. Mitch is hasn't Mitch is coming off a high school basketball a year off and then rookie year of NBA. And his sophomore season, he breaks Will Chamberlain's all time field goal percentage record with with no real coaching because Fizdale doesn't know how to coach, and no pro, no college basketball experience. Bro, and, and he's being the Knicks. Nobody's even talking about it. You have to go to Knicks Twitter to find out about this stuff. But like that's like the the potential of Mitchell Robinson considering. He hasn't learned the game fully yet, and charts. he's like it's scary. And then you have a player who, like RJ with Tibbs, who is a, a very high IQ player, who's like, like when people talk about like 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 when it was the Knicks about like oh we want to bring in dogs. Like RJ has like RJ is not scared of the moment. He's very competitive. Like that's a perfect kind of Tibbs player, yeah, especially man. with Tip. And especially I feel like they'll get along, which means that Tibbs that RJ will have more like control, have the ball in his hand more, which. What people really don't even realize last year is that when he had his ha- when he had the ball in his hand in the pick and roll and stuff like that, he he really excelled because if you if you he's a good passer and I feel like that got 
overlooked at Duke because he was chucking a lot. If you look at his play this year when he was like in a control setting, but also like with like Team Canada, he's a great passer, has a great feel for the game. So when you have to talk about that Mitchell Robinson like lob or you talk about him getting to the rim, um, I feel like it would really open up his game. And then Tibbs and Frank should be a match made in heaven. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Someone who just wants to go out there and just defend all the time, can guard one through four. That's what I'm uh, saying. We've got dogs ball. on his team. There are dogs on his team. They're, the, the thing about this team is that we're young and hungry. And we have kids who are ready to, like, lay it out on the line, like, for their careers. They're trying to make their yeah. names. And playing in the, the Big Apple, like, there's no there's no more pressure. And these kids are going out every night playing their best, which is, hasn't been much. But they're playing their best and trying to win games. Um, but I think the other criticism we have to focus on is um, definitely his use of veteran players and bringing those kind of guys in. Um, guys like Taj Gibson, who he, who he brought around with him everywhere. Where I don't mind Taj though. Like I don't think like Taj, because like there's a difference between a veteran who goes in there, he might not be that good, but plays his role right. and doesn't like take away from people. Right, like, I'm fine to with play her contract. Like, like I'm right, I'm fine with veterans like who just like Taj who just go like they get minutes, but they're not trying to do too much. Like they're they're there to help the young guys along. Yeah, I'm scared of the veterans who go go in there and go like crazy. Um, trying to score. So I think, so I think it's not the veterans that they bring. Like it's not about having a lot of veterans on their roster necessarily. It's about who. Like yeah, like if you bring in like players, like if you bring back a Bullock, you bring back a Taz, like you bring back like a Gallinari, like players who are gonna play within the system, play within their role, and not do too much, or not searching for that next contract kind of thing, to complement the young players. Like I think that's perfect. Like, yeah. but if I I don't know, I don't see them. I feel like they learned the lesson from last year. If they want to, if they want to truly maximize their young players, um, I think that they have to learn from that. Um, the only young player I'm truthfully worried about is Kevin Knox. Um, I don't know what this means for him, honestly. I I think that he has all the potential in the world still. I think that he's very young. He's very raw. He still has a lot to learn about the game. Um, but there's one thing that we've seen so far is that he his work ethic. It is there. It's not that he doesn't work hard. He doesn't try. I think that a lot of it is the combination of, especially after this year, a lack of confidence. And then you combine that with not fully, like not fully learning the NBA game yet. And like those two combined. Make him opportunities, like uh, given a chance. Right. But like you combine and you combine those two where you're, where you aren't confident and you feel kind of lost within the game. Right. And of course, it's going to look like you're you're not locked in or you're you're lost within the game, right? Like mm-hmm. you just said. So, like I think that if it all depends how they approach it. Like I don't like I don't think that them saying that they're not so letting these things that they're not sold on Kevin Knox get out is smart at all, because that means that either you're going to sell low on him or you're going to defeat deplete his confidence even more. Like if they go, if Tibbs goes in there and invests confidence into that kid and says you're going to get these minutes, I, this is what I need you to do, and we'll be fine. He'll be fine. Like he will be fine. He's, I just don't. He's know. more than capable. Right. You just don't know how they're going to approach it, and if they don't approach it the right way, then, or then they could miss out on something I think is big. I've definitely grown on over the years. Right. And I think the one of the last caveats we have to touch upon with Leon Rose and Thibodeau is that because they have this connection, and that they've been they've been through this process together, they're they're lifelong friends, right? Sure. What you have to think about is that this is the first time in a long time that the front office, like we thought that Fisdale and Perry and Mills were in lockstep and they weren't. Yeah. 
but now if we look at it and think that these two people are actually friends and it's not just like a forced relationship put together like these people are friends they're on the same page with the same like leon rose did not have to become the president of the knicks like he was well off on his own and tibbs wanted this job that's his dream job the combination of they dropped the agency he's not even he's not even working with right yeah like the combination of them both being driven and want and taking this on as a challenge yeah. and working in like that means that Tibbs is gonna get the kind of players he needs to be successful. They're gonna conversate. That means that Leon Rose is gonna be able to talk to him and say, "All right, like I understand that this, this, and this, but you need to give this young player like this certain opportunity." Right, and they won't make decisions with them not being on the same page because right. they have this chemistry they've built over years. It's a proven chemistry. Also, um, I want to go back to something else you said. Um, and you said Fizdale, and I just want you to know that we'll never say Fizdale on this podcast ever again. I never want to hear that guy's name. I never want to hear about that guy. I don't know want to know what he's doing. I don't know where he. I don't want to know where he's been. That guy. That guy came in and stunk it up, and it made me mad. Dude, I, I to this day I remember the game where the I like I don't care what happens. I'm watching the entire game. Just because, like, dude, because first of all, with the Knicks the last two years, the only time I was going to get to see the young players play is when they were losing by 30. <laughs> so that I had to walk to the end of the game and they getting smoked to, to see, oh, look, oh, dude, look, Kevin Knox made a jump shot, bro. But anyway, like, dude, I remember distinctly, they're losing they're losing a game by 40 to the Bucks at the end of the third quarter, like 100 to, like, 60. And Fizdale's smiling, giving them high fives. And I was like, dude, you can't, like, you cannot be getting smoked like this and have a smile on your face. Like, I don't care what, like. What exa- what kind of example are you setting for your team? Um, can encourage that behavior. Yeah. So hopefully we have Tibbs here to bring in a winning culture, similar to a different New York team that started off the season right where they left off last year. Um, and one of the first live sports to actually be underway with their regular season, um, the New York baseball Yankees. Um, <laughs> yes. So The greatest team of all time in all of sports. It's a different Any conversation, sport, yeah. but the greatest team that's the greatest team ever assembled, the greatest team, the greatest organization of all time. It, it's so interesting for me though, being a fan of like the Knicks on one end and the Yankees on the other, because like yeah. it, like it's like when a team is this good all the time, it makes you lose interest in it because like there's nothing you have to say about oh they should do this, they should do that. They just go out there and win, and you're just like oh, okay, they won. Yeah. Well, in a sport like baseball where it's where it's almost pay to play. And uh, a dirty sport like baseball, where the Yankees have made all their money, God knows how. <laughs> it's it's not it's, it's kind of it's kind of simple to just get all the best players. Yeah, like I remember, um, I wasn't following baseball that closely, and Stanton came in, and I was like, that, I was like, wait, one of the best players in baseball just walked in here. I was like, wait, this is how it works. They're just picking up guys anywhere they can find them. Okay, I like this team. Um. Yeah, yeah, dude. I. <laughs> I don't know. I just so different watching, like being a fan of this team compared to all the other teams that I support. Yeah, there's no fun. There's no fun to it. It's not fun. Like it's not. Like, I like when they win, and I'm like, but it's like it's like even when they're losing, I'm like, all right, they're just gonna come back because like, dude, I'm just like, tell people you're a Yankees fan because it's not. Yeah, like I know exactly what's gonna happen. Um, <laughs> but you touched upon Stanton. He had a big opening series. The Yankees went down to DC. Uh, took two out of three from the defending champion Nationals. Opening day Thursday, nationally televised. They go in there. Um. And they beat Max Scherzer, which was really impressive. Garrett Cole had a complete game, even though it got rained out in the sixth inning. One mm-hmm. one hit, a home run to Adam Eaton, which really got me upset if we're being serious. <laughs> it was rough to open up the gate, but just because like bro, I was never that sold on him last year. And like I like they lost the World Series and he lost games. So like I wasn't even that impressed to begin with. Yeah. And then like 
I expect like if they're paying a pitcher that much money, I expect like every single ball to be 107 miles an hour and unhittable. I'm like, dude, this guy like admin comes in the second batter just but bomb. That's baseball. another that's another thing that's another thing you get when you when you're with the Yankees. Obviously, there's no fun in it, but you're always gonna expect excellence from the team. Right. Yeah. So like you you like it's literally like World Series or bust all the time every year. But they win game one. Um, I mean, the thing that has impressed me is that even watching like other games, it doesn't look like the players are that rusty, which is and in fact some of the a lot of the players are in better shape than they would have been if the season started in April, just because for the last two months they've had a set date and they've been like working as hard as they can yeah. on their bodies and everything. Um, game two, Paxton pitched terrible, barely made it out of the second inning. A uh, little bit concerning, but not too much. Um, they they lose that game handedly actually, and then. Was it uh, Sunday? Sunday they Sunday. Uh, the, rubber, the rubber match. They they were being no hit until like the sixth or seventh inning against Corbin. Then and all of a sudden in the seventh inning, Glaber hits a home run. Um, Void hits a home run. And then My man, eighth, Glaber day. Glaber Torres. And then in the eighth, um, Glaber again with another big hit to give him the lead. Uh, little little shaking. error. <laughs> yeah, little shaking the field. He made, he had an error and then a play where it wasn't a rule to error, but. He like fell down, mm. uh, causing the extra pressure on Britain in the ninth. Um, but overall, I think it was a good series for the Yankees. My my only concerns going forward right now, we know that Severino's out for the whole year, which I think that if Severino's healthy, there's no reason that this team is not the favorite, even though they're up there already. To win the power. Right. And to win the World Series, honestly, yeah. too. Um, but now we have Paxton struggle. Tanaka has a concussion. Domingo Herman. Chapman catches COVID. Domingo Herman is hitting people he shouldn't be hitting. Oh my and, god! And now, dude, now where, where does this leave us in terms of pitching? Um, I don't know. They have a lot of young players who aren't proven in terms of pitching, and that might bite them down the road. But I think that once Chapman comes back, their bullpen will be fine. I think that Batantis going to the Mets obviously hurts, but we, nothing was guaranteed coming off that Achilles. Right. Um, and Britain is ready to step into the closer role because he's been a closer most of his career with Chapman out. So I think they'll be fine there. Um what what were your impressions so far of like the opening series and how how the Yankees look going forward? I mean, I I also thought there was going to be some rust. And um to see the lack of rust from uh, a couple of players around the whole league, um, but the Yankees are the only ones I care about. Um was nice to see. Uh I remember I remember when Cole gave up the home run, how you called me and how upset you were immediately and that was that was hilarious to me um but i do have faith in this team and i think i think the shortened season um is going to be rough on a couple of teams but i think the yankees uh i think the yankees will will start out hot and finish out hot i just i'm just really worried about them post come postseason they got enough games under their belt if they're ready you know because because you it takes you a while to get into that mood when you play seasons like that over and over again and so I'm hoping that uh, they get into that. But, um, but I mean, I loved watching Gio. Glaber Torres is my favorite player in the MLB right now, uh, just because of the name. And uh, Gio Ochoa is a Colombian like me. And so I'm bonding with this Yankee team through just looking at their Wikipedias. Um, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited. I like these guys. I like this team. I think this team is ready to win it all. Um, regardless of the hits at the pitching staff, um, but it was it was good it was good to just watch live sports. To be honest, this weekend, 
Now I've been watching like every baseball game I can find that's on right now. <laughs> yeah. it's not, like it's, I think it's still like a MLB regular season game is still better than a scrimmage basketball game. Even though I, like I almost brought basketball. extra innings. <laughs> I've been just been watching the Yankees and uh, the Mets and whatever's on like ESPN or MLB TV. Um, yeah. One last thing on the Yankees though for me is that I think like it's one of those situations where when a team has too much depth, it, it becomes quite, kind of counterproductive in a way. Um, and I think like the Yankees are kind of facing that problem a little bit, um, just because right they have Hicks who. They have on like another five years or six years on his deal, um, coming back from Tommy John, but he he's a productive piece in your lineup. Then you have Mike Talkman, who they brought up last year and was just raking, um, and is great defensively. Who you, you have to get him at bats too. Then you have Gardner, who's been here for ten plus years and is still a productive player in your lineup. You got to get him at bats. Then you have Urshela at third, who comes up last year and was doing amazing, and then that pushes Andujar to left field, which he's never played before, um, so just to get his bat in the lineup as well because you're DHing Stanton. And then by you putting Andujar in left field, that means that players like Clint Frazier, who, like, like I just feel bad for Clint Frazier. Like, he should be playing, he should have, for the last two or three years, he should have been starting every day for some team in the major leagues. Yeah, he's he that just, talented, and he's that good. Sadly, he's on and, the Yankees. And, like, it just, that's, that's terrible for him. Just because, like I, like, I literally think that he can come to the big leagues and bat like 270, 280, and give you 30 home runs. Like defensively, he's lacking, but he can steal bases. He can. He has a quick, one of the quickest bats I've ever seen. And he's just rocket. He's buried in like AAA, which is like <laughs> so crazy to me. It's just too much depth, and just it'll be interesting. I mean, it's like similar to last year, but they had more injuries last year, so it was kind of just plugging in players, and they would leave them there for a while because right. they didn't have to. They didn't have to um, mix and match. Because they didn't have the, even have the the luxury of doing that. Yeah, they gave him the chance to show out. I mean, it's not a terrible. It's it's probably the best problem to have. Right. <laughs> you know, it's definitely the best problem to have. But like, I just think it's gonna be interesting how they manage it, especially because injuries are gonna be less prominent because it's a sixty game season. Yeah. So like, how you're gonna get everybody a bat to make sure everyone's tuned up for playoff time is gonna be interesting. Um. Mm. But coming off that series. The Yankees were supposed to head to Philly and play in Philly. They probably are in Philly, to be honest. But they're yeah, supposed right. to play in Philly today. Uh, take on Bryce Harper, uh, former manager Joe Girardi, and one of my favorite players ever, Didi Gregorius. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that game got canceled because of the other big story going on in sports right now. The Miami Marlins are having like a COVID outbreak within the team. Um, I think what happened was like they said like four players got tested positive like just in the last two days. But I think even more of them have it. Um, and like while they're waiting for the negative test, those players still played. So they're worried about the Phillies now if the Phillies players have it. And then people were saying this could signal the shutdown of the MLB already. Um, I mean, it possibly could. I mean, obviously, the reason we're playing sports this way, all sports are having to um, adjust the way their seasons are going down is because of this pandemic. And so for, for you to start your sport up and not like heavily – put pressure on teams to always be checking and always make sure is like th- this kind of slip up is obviously damaging to the entire uh, the entire league the entire majors because there's there's no uh, there's no there's no way you can let that slip up and then work back from that because now teams are not going to be able to play players are not going to be able to play and then teams are going to complain that their players are not able to play 
and it just causes a whole slew of problems. Uh, it it's interesting because like you look at all the like the NHL. What they didn't say like three thousand players or something like that, yeah. three thousand personnel. Nobody in the bubble for the NHL is positive. Uh, I think the same goes for the WNBA as well as the NBA at this point. Yeah, and the MLB decides like the sport with like every three days you're going to a new city. We're not going to do a bubble. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's not that's not that was never going to work. And now it's like all right. So like what happens like this can't keep happening because you you have, you're on a schedule and then all of a sudden like the, the Yankees don't play today they have to make up a game. The, the Phillies don't play the game, they have to make up the game. Whatever happens with the Marlins the next couple of days, they have to make up a bunch of games. The team that they're playing has to make up games. And it just adds, it just throws everything off. It's going to push back. A season that was already modified. Right. So, like, it, and, like, like if we find out that a lot of Phillies players have it now, oh, God. Then, then the season, then the season is actually. Oh, it's going to be clipped. And, yeah, the season's actually, like, almost doomed at that well, point. If, if they can contain it with the Marlins and then. I assume this will make them revise their strategy. Um, I feel like, I feel like then there's a chance of salvaging it. But if if it starts going to like the Phillies and like, yeah, this is scary. Things are, things are gonna get bad. So I'm. It's interesting to see how this is gonna unfold in the next couple of days. It was like it's like bro, like it was so nice to have live sports on TV and just like that, it could be gone again. I mean, at least we know the MLB. I mean. The NBA is definitely going to happen, or sure. like knock on wood, it's definitely going to happen. And I mean, it's, not- it's still, it's really already going on. As long as people stop leaving the bubble. The yeah. All right, hey man, hey man, hey man. Let's not yeah. let's not name drop. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if any, if it worse comes to worst, gentlemen's clubs. <laughs> if worse for chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> but if worse comes to worse, you know, I'll just uh, I'll pick up a, a hockey stick and, and and start watching the New York Rangers again. Well, you alone, buddy. You alone. Uh, well, I mean, I just hope at this point, uh, I mean, I really like the, like, this doesn't affect, like, the NBA bubble. I could care less if they finish it or not. I would like them to see it finish, but the Knicks aren't there, so I don't really <laughs> care. Um, the Yankees, the Yankees, I would like to see them win a World Series, but uh, they always find a way to burger it, so hopefully they're going to get out of one. I'm saying, so if anything, it'll just prevent another heartbreak, but I would like to okay. see the Jets lose, I would, I would like to see the Jets lose 12 games this year. Uh, I enjoy watching these games, um, <laughs> and I really hope that the NFL is not messed up because of this. If football doesn't come back, not only am I gonna have a problem, but people will be people will be marching <laughs> if the NFL doesn't come back. Beer companies, I mean, out the wazoo, everyone in the world will be going and like stupid. The thing about it is, like, dude, like players are reporting to training camp now, and I don't even want to hear oh, the so numbers scary. in like so five days about how many people are gonna have it. Like I don't even want. And you already know they're doing tests. Like in the <laughs> sport, most likely to catch it. Like in the sport where you're most at risk for it. <laughs> and I mean, Colin Cowherd made a good point today. He said like the difference between the MLB and the NFL is that, like, you literally go on the road for eight games, and like before those eight, like before like the road games, you're home for like, you're usually at your home stadium for like a week, and then you get there on like Friday. Right. But you're like the testing will. Yeah, you be, don't leave till late. Right. The testing will be being done and contained and like you won't be really moving without knowing the results of the test. Um, but I I just don't have I don't have a good feeling about the NFL getting done just because of the extra added risk um, and as well as the travel. You combine all those things. It doesn't look promising for the NFL, but I really hope they can figure it out because that like that's, dude, that's the best time of the year. Oh. fantasy football like oh, i don't even do like i don't even like that's the thing about football is like if my team's not even doing well like i'm invested in something else that makes me actually like watch every single yeah, game yeah, like, yeah. The fantasy is great for that 
It's right. great for the whole league. And like, there's nothing like, like, like refreshing your fantasy team page on a Sunday, watching every game and every every time the team is in the red zone on NFL red zone. There's nothing like that. That's not a plug for NFL red zone either, though, unless they try to pay us. All right, and I'm coming off a, a championship myself, and uh, I'd like to repeat, shout out below, pal, shout out. Uh, yeah, how about how about you play against some real competitors? No offense to whoever you played with, but I'd like to be well, in a, I'd like to be in a league with you, where these guys aren't where these guys aren't just taking their favorite players and their favorite names off the board. I mean, not to brag, but I was Odell Beckham going in the first round. I was the king of the waiver wire last year. Um, I'm sure you were. Who was there a quarterback? Was there a quarterback from New York who helped you out a lot? Uh, All right, if you don't want to speak, if you don't want to speak. But he's from upstate New York. (laughs) Snuck into the top 100. Jim Kelly Jr. Top 100. Can't do it for (laughs) both. Yeah, dude, dude, that's that's what saved me, bro. This guy would go for like 10 for 26 with four rushing touchdowns. I was like, yeah. Shout out Josh Allen. This guy. Hurdling over Anthony Barr. Shout out wide athletic quarterbacks. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so hopefully the NFL can jump over jet skis. Go ahead, sorry. So, yeah, dude, not, not smart. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, regardless of what sports happen, we're going to be here. So, for the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to you about who knows what's going to happen with the MLB. Right. If they keep happening, we'll keep you updated on the on the Yankees, all things MLB. Uh, we're looking at, like, two or three days, real NBA games start with real, oh, yeah, real implications. Wait. So, that's going to be interesting to see how people are ready, if they're adjusted, what that can mean for – legacies awards all these things um yeah we're into a flow we're not talking hypotheticals anymore like sports sports is happening sports news is happening every other day like uh, we're excited we got content now uh we just got to keep up on this get this podcast heard around the world and for our knicks um we're really looking forward to at this point we're just looking forward to the draft so we'll really see how so how that goes and hopefully they don't butcher another one um but otherwise i mean i feel like that's it for now jordan hill Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at DJ underscore smoothie. You can follow me on Twitter at DJ smoothie 17 and another seamless plug. I wrote an article just now on um, Jamal Adams trade. I have another one coming out about Tom Thibodeau um, smoothie sports uh, I'll put the link in the description. If you guys want to check it out, uh, where can they find you? Zay? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at M A C Z A D D Y Z A Y. I don't want to say it cause the name's embarrassing. And uh, that's if you want to follow me. And I can definitely vouch for Mike's uh, article on Jamal Adams. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. The verbiage he used um, out of this world. I've never heard him talk like that. And to see pen come to paper and Michael Charles smoothie turn into a new man. Uh, it, it was it was a nice read. It was a nice read. And if you enjoy the content we put out here, if you enjoy sports, you should give it a read. Oh, I really appreciate that, uh, Isaiah. Um, <laughs> but uh, hits the nickname. Hits the nickname. We'll but, edit it out. <laughs> we'll not edit it out because I do the. Now you have to, and now you have to. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll not do it. So but, this is a long outro. But uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate the feedback. Um, just yeah, keep trying to interact with us. Let us know what you want to hear, even though. No one tells us what they want to hear yet, but hopefully this is the one. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> this is the one. The whole world listens to and tells us what they want to hear Isaiah and Michael talk about. Thank you for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time, and be safe. Peace.
into camerals and tell me to come So she didn't have a daughter, she didn't have a son She said the lift doesn't work, run up the stairs and come And if we don't come quick, you're not gonna know that's fun So I grab a bunch of rules and that's